Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. It's a great football team with a lot of moral fiber and a lot of character, and they showed it. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. No place else you'd rather be than right here, right now. When it's too tough for them, it's just right. Presented by Syracuse.com and NYUP.com. The Bills make me wanna. What is up, everyone? It is the live show. It is Wednesday night, 8 p.m., and you're usually going to find us live on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter for the Shout Buffalo Bills football podcast. I am your host, Matt Perino, joined as always as my, by my co-host, Ryan Talbot. And tonight we have a very special guest, the man. I call you the, one of the busiest guys in, in, in Buffalo media because I see you all over the place on doing podcasts and uh, college football, pro football. I have a tough enough time keeping the Bills straight and you're out here just you know pulling double duty eric wood former bill center uh media extraordinaire now how, how are you my friend i'm doing good i appreciate the endorsement and um i there's a reason why i listen to your podcast for bill's knowledge it's because it's tough to kind of juggle all those and be great at all of them but uh doing my best so ryan uh, we are what are we here? Four days out from uh, Patriots Week, uh, we put. We're also in the middle of you know trade trade deadline uh, bonanza, where I feel like Bills Mafia is 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 going crazy a little bit. What's on your mind? What what, what do you got thinking? What, what what have you been thinking about the last couple of days? Definitely the trade deadline because the the Bills Mafia they're all over it. They they want every player that's uh, supposedly on the market, anyone that gets cut loose. Uh, you know, a few Cowboys players today with ties to. Uh, different coaches on the Bills staff. So, you know, Eric, I'm going to get that started with you. As a player, what was it like every year during the trade deadline, uh, especially on trade deadline day? You probably never had to worry about that because you were a, a cornerstone of, of the Bills organization, but you saw teammates go. You saw some come in. What was that always like this time of year? You know, I don't, I don't think there was a ton of moves made while I was there, and you guys could correct me if I'm wrong. I remember my last year we picked up Kelvin Benjamin, and we were excited about that, and no offense to KB, but that didn't turn out to be a miraculous signing, and, you know, it, it rarely does. And when he came into our offense, although he had familiarity with Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott, he had never played – in the, I'll say the Shanahan tree it was the Rick Dennison style of the Mike Shanahan offense. So he's coming in mid season, trying to learn a brand new offense. Like that is tough. 
And so unless it makes sense from a schematic standpoint where they know everything already, then an immediate impact is going to probably be pretty tough. I mean, let's be frank. If you get an edge rusher and say, go rush the edge, it is what it is. But if there's, you know, you're talking linebacker safeties where there's a ton of communication anywhere on the offensive line, all that, there's there's going to be a lot of moving pieces to where it's going to be tough to jump right into it. So one of those players that were let go today is Don Terry Poe. Has some experience with Eric Washington, and that's just it. The terminology might be kind of similar there. Doesn't have experience maybe with Leslie Frazier, though. Could that be something that could be a plug-and-play, one technique, something that the Bills haven't had a lot of depth with this year? It could be. And, you know, I'm an offensive guy, so I'll always say that playing defense is just so much easier. Oh, it's just all reaction. <laughs> you know, just line up in your gap and rush up the field. Who cares? So, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll go out, out there and say that that could be um, an addition where uh, the Bills look at him and take a flyer on him. I, the way it works with uh, with how maybe high sought after he might be, that's not necessarily a guy you say, hey, come in for a workout. And let's see what type of shape he's in or try and figure out why the Cowboys were willing to part ways with him. But, um, you know, he's he's a really talented player, a guy who I played against a lot in my career. Uh, good ball player. So he's worth taking a flyer on. If you're like and obviously, you know, putting our, our brand and bean caps on here, what, what do you kind of have to do to figure out if a guy's right when you really just can go off of the tape and you're not really in that room and, and what's going on there. How do you kind of deduct like, okay, uh, I think I could trust enough that there's still enough there to bring him in. Cause that's one of the big things that people have been talking about is Poe hasn't played very well this year coming off a really good year in Carolina last year. So, you know, it, there's fear that maybe he, you know, he's fallen off a cliff in terms of production and in, in terms of just his skill set. How do you, how do you trust that? Yeah. And I would say maybe, he didn't have somewhere to train during COVID. So he started the year playing catch up conditioning wise. I don't know, but all the front office guys have probably been in, in this business long enough to have evaluated most of the players in the NFL through the pre-draft process. You have a little bit of an idea what their characters like, maybe if there's any glaring issues, they probably have relationships with someone in most of these organizations. The Cowboys here, for example, maybe you call someone in Dallas and say, hey, was this a front office move? Was this a coaching staff move? Is he a cancer in the locker room? What's going on here? And I'm not by any means putting any of those things on Don Terry Poe, for example. I'm just using in general terms. And so you evaluate all that. And then maybe you say, even if even if there are character issues, maybe our culture can withstand bringing in a player like that and the talent outweighs the issues that come with it. Um, the, I'm Matt Perino. He is Ryan Talbot. Our guest today is Eric Wood. You've been hearing from him in these first five minutes. This is the Shop Buffalo Bo Football Podcast. I was so excited to get into this stuff with you. I forgot to mention, we are sponsored by Tops Friendly Markets, your neighborhood store with more. Definitely uh, hit them up for all your game day needs. Um, I want to talk a little bit more about the trade deadline just from the perspective of what you've seen from this Bills team to start the season. They're sitting here at 5-2, and two, uh, started off blazing hot. Obviously, the last couple of weeks, um, they ran into some, some good football teams before they played the Jets and got ended a two-game skid. Is there any position in particular? We mentioned defensive tackle. Ryan's put out a couple pieces about some other options out there. Dalvin Tomlinson, Tim Settle in Washington. Is there any position where you feel like 
the Bills really could like adding at that spot might be something that really takes this roster to the next level. You know, the, the Bills came into the year with really no glaring weaknesses on their entire roster. It's just it's a it's a product of drafting to the same scheme for four years, drafting well, getting the salary cap in check and then being able to go out and get free agents. When you win, it becomes easier to bring in free agents. So all that combined, I'll say first, the Bills came into the season with really no glaring holes. Maybe linebacker depth was one area that you could point to, but Milano and Edmonds, they play every single play. Well, they both kind of been dinged up. Are there maybe linebackers you look into? I'm just thinking in terms of injury at this point, the secondary, the uh, corners have been hit really hard. I don't think you can ever have enough good cornerbacks on a team, especially when you're facing teams that run primarily three wide sets, maybe four. Maybe you have a tight end that's extremely dynamic in the pass game. So I don't think you can have enough good DBs. Through the first part of the season, uh, and I'll just use Sean McDermott's words, the four-man pass rush was not what it needed to be. And then when asked about the run game uh, being an issue for the defense, he said it's it's more about attitude than it is technique or anything else. So is there someone who can come in and be that guy up front? I'm not sure. I'm not sure if any of those guys are. They have to evaluate it at this point and figure it out. I think. In my mind, when you look at this defensive line in particular on paper, you should have all the pieces, but it's just not quite fitting in there. And you got a new defensive line coach. You have some new faces up front. In the last two years, you lose two of the best leaders I've ever been around in Kyle Williams and Lorenzo Alexander. Is that an issue? I, I don't know exactly what the issue is, but on defense, you're returning most of a defense that was number three statistically in the NFL last year and played to the stats. This wasn't, you know, this wasn't an offense that played keep away. There was no asterisks on that defense last year. They were legit. Like what exactly happened besides some guys are dinged up here and there. You lose Lorenzo Alexander, but, you know, Lorenzo was a, you know, a third linebacker in that group. He did some rush. So is it leadership? Or what exactly is the issue? And that's kind of glaring. Offensively, I thought they'd been outstanding. You know, people point to the run game, and I think it'll improve as the year goes on. And we just have to switch our thinking in Buffalo nowadays. Like, this isn't a Greg Roman offense, and this isn't the Brian Dayball offense of the last two years. They have a lot of confidence in Josh Allen, and they're going to air it out. Now, what the, the premium becomes is – can you rush with a great yards per carry against light boxes? Because you're going to get it. And so far, they have not been able to do that on a consistent enough basis. But I think that will come as the season goes on. Let me – I want to go back uh, like two little parts there because you bring up really something that has kind of – I'm writing about a little bit in the next couple of days. And also, it's been discussed Monday and Wednesday, and that's this – you know, kind of transition for Jerry Hughes into that leadership role. And it's something that I've really been uh, curious about and interested in, in that Leslie really peaked it uh, on Monday when he said, I saw something from Jerry in this game on Sunday against the Jets where he really, for the first time, stepped into that role like he had never done before, where he was really in tune with, you know, listening you know, showing some care for his teammates, maybe some of the younger guys and, and really doing something that he had always kind of sat back and watched Lorenzo and Kyle do over the years. And he even spoke about it a little bit today. It's something that, you know, 
we've all had our roles. I, I'm somebody that traditionally leads more by example, but I, I almost think kudos to Jerry Hughes for stepping out of his comfort zone and really taking on something that obviously this defense really needed. For sure. And that's a great point. And what Jerry said has been the truth. He has led by example. He, you know, didn't need to be a vocal leader of that defense. And generally the guys that are making the calls, you know, your um, Tremaine Edmonds, it's a natural fit for him or a Micah Hyde who's making a lot of communication on the back end. It's more natural for them to be one of maybe the more spoken leaders. Um, but Jerry Hughes, since the day he walked into the building, has caught my eye because he is a tireless worker. I have no idea how he doesn't get tired. I mean, he will do uh, insane amounts of exercise, cardio, and all this, plus be one of the hardest workers on the entire practice every single day, then do extra work afterwards. And that's just how he's that's just how he's built. That's in his uh, DNA. Like that's what he brings to the table every single day. So it's great to hear um, Leslie Frazier talk about how, him stepping into a leadership role because He's definitely earned that leadership role through his work ethic over the years. You know, Eric, another thing that you said was you think as the season goes on, the run game is going to get better. Maybe we're going to see a little bit of an immediate return on that with the return of John Feliciano. John Feliciano, you know, they could plug and play him at either guard spot. But based on what you saw from him last year, what could he do for this run game? John Feliciano is a tone setter. That dude is... Um, I'll point to the Andy Dalton play last week where no one came to his defense. If Josh Allen takes a shot, gets any type of a shot late, whether there's a flag or not, whether it's to his stomach, his head, his knee, like John Feliciano is right there and you're saying, oh gosh, John, that wasn't that bad. Please don't get a flag here. It's not worth <laughs> it. But you'd rather have a dude like that where you have to pull the reins on him as opposed to a guy where you're like, go defend somebody. And John Feliciano coming back is great news for the offensive line. The guys up front love him. Everybody on the team loves him. And, I mean, he's just – he's a dog out there. He finishes people, and that's – that is contagious. And, I honestly, I thought he was probably their most productive offensive lineman last year. And this is an offensive line that has, you know, pretty much – you know, two, like, really high-end offensive line pieces in Deion Dawkins and Mitch Morse. You know, when you're looking at salary and, you know, reputation around the league. But John Feliciano, to me – might have been the best one of a bunch last year. I wanted to ask you about um, you know the guard play that we've seen, especially like the last two weeks um, after the Cody Ford injury. Uh, Brian Winters, your impressions of him, and then a guy like Ike Bucker. I, I want to ask you this specifically because he's a guy that the Bills has, have spent time on developing, and you know he comes out here, he he comes in for for Ford against the Chiefs, then gets his first start last week and obviously probably didn't go the way that everybody had hoped it would go as a veteran and as a leader yourself that was in the room. What would you say to a young guy like that, that maybe comes out, gets his first chance and it maybe doesn't go as well as he would have hoped? Well, I'll say this, you know, it's, it's not easy hopping in there. It's not easy hopping in mid season. A lot of these guys are in mid season form. There was no preseason to get reps. So you're hopping into live bullets where you're not necessarily used to that. Um, you're going against guys that maybe you've never faced in a game before. Keep your head up, learn from it, and let's go. Like, there's no time to waste in the NFL. You know, the next week's coming. No one feels sorry for you. You still have a job. Let's move forward and go. And so that's where I would be, you know. 
And as far as the offensive line in general this year, I've seen maybe some miscommunication stuff um, at times, especially in the run game with guys kind of running through maybe a D tackle came inside of a guard and Mitch Morris was working with the backside guard and the play side guard who the defensive tackle came under is kind of letting him go to the center, but he's not there. Just some little miscommunication stuff. And maybe that's from not a whole lot of live work at practice, no preseason and all that um, can affect those things. But, um, you know, I just see some little nuanced things that I'm sure Bobby Johnson's going to get cleaned up. And that's where, you know, just knowing Brian Dayball, knowing Bobby Johnson, knowing the guys they have in the room and the talent they have at running back, the plays are going to, the, the production in the run game is going to come. And, and another thing, neither Zach Moss or Devin Singletary are home run hitter running backs. They're productive backs. Zach Moss does a little bit more through power. Devin Singletary, a little bit more through elusiveness. They are great vision guys. They're tough runners. They're tough to bring down, but they are not breakaway guys. These are not 65-yard scamper type backs. Is this a week where you think the Bills could try to utilize the run a little bit more, especially based on what we saw last week with the Patriots really struggling to stop the 49ers run game? And just in general, this entire season struggling against the run. I'll say yes, it is a good week to try it out. And But I'll say I thought that against the Raiders early in the season, I was, <clears throat> I was pretty um, in tune to make an opinion of the entire season. They had almost exclusively through a couple weeks been 10 and 11 personnel. Then you go to face the Raiders, who had given up 250 rushing yards on the ground the week before. They'd be getting crushed through the ground. And what does Brian Dayball do? Comes out 10, 11 personnel, air it out all over the field, throw the ball all over the Raiders out in Vegas. And at that point, I realized a couple things. One, they have a ton of confidence in Josh Allen no matter what. And two, this isn't an offense where week to week you say, oh, shoot, this team is bad at this. Okay, now let's switch our game plan. Now let's go heavy personnel. Now, will they run it more? Potentially. But I would still expect to see the similar formations that we've seen um, and that's a little different from the past, from what I, I've witnessed with Bill's offenses for maybe the last 10 years. It was always kind of like, what's their weakness? Maybe we can attack that. Now it's, here's our strength. We're coming at you. Let's, let's talk, let's transition to Josh a little bit because, you know, he's without a doubt, you know, earned a lot of respect around the league. I mean, a story I always tell on the show is, you know, going into the New England press box the last two years and listening to the kind of giggles around the the press box as he struggled at times with with some throws. And, you know, I I always kind of sat back as you know as somebody that watched him every day and saw some of the high points. I didn't think really anything about him as a player and a developing prospect was funny, but whatever, that's that's neither here nor there. But I think that he's in a lot of ways getting the last laugh now. And, but you see the last three weeks, he, he finally goes up against some really, really good defenses that adjust and, and, and bring a little bit of a different look, force him to play a little bit of, of a different way. And it doesn't go so well against Tennessee. And then, you know, a little bit in, in KC, what are teams doing to take away the deep ball? And how much of that is John Brown, obviously not being there for two of those three games. Yeah, not having a second deep threat can make you easier to defend on the deep ball. If you take away Stephon Diggs over the top, they haven't tried a whole lot of other shots down the field. They don't do 20, 30-yard-plus throws to Cole Beasley. They haven't done many of them to Gabe Davis. They hit 
Tyler Croft on the one last week that went for 36 or 38 yards, but that was probably 20 yards in the air. You know, the bombs are going to John Brown and Stephon Diggs. And so when you only have one of those, you can sculpt your coverage to take away uh, the one in there. Stephon Diggs was two out of three, two of the last three games, but they're, they're playing uh, deeper. So coming into the season, the MO on Josh Allen was he can't hit a deep ball. Well, he made people pay so bad that now they're back to saying, oh, let's make him throw the intermediate game where I believe it was midway through the season last year. He was leading the NFL on throws between 10 and 19 yards. I probably heard that from Matt on the podcast. But, um, <laughs> but, and then I, then I said it on air, and I, then I found it really smart. But, uh, but that was the MO on him last year. Well, he comes into this year, he's lighting it up with the deep ball. So now teams have – forced him to make underneath throws. And I think by taking some check downs and working um, Cole Beasley sitting in some zones that they'll maybe bring those guys back down. If you can get the run game going, you bring those safeties back down. The one thing is you're seeing a bunch of cover two uh, corner sink on them. There was the one interception against Tennessee and then almost one last week against the Jets hit the backs. You know, if those guys are sinking, you'll get 10 yards a pop checking down to the running backs. And, you know, Josh has proven he's not um, the next captain check down around here. Like that dude is taking shots. And so he can um, live peacefully checking the ball down a few times. He said um, today when he was asked about, asked about his mentality change, and that's something that he's talked about quite a bit this season. And, you know, putting aside the wanting to do everything to win the game and taking what the defense gives you is something that he's had to kind of learn and almost beat into himself over the course of his career, obviously with a lot of help from, you know, Brian Dable and other people within the organization. Uh, but he talked about like the mentality to take what the defense gives you, but also have the patience and to keep your emotions in check. And that's got to be so hard. Is there somebody that you, you know, obviously you play with a couple quarterbacks, you know, in your time and, but have you ever seen it done you know, really well, who do you think are the best quarterbacks that do a good job of keeping their emotions in check, no matter what's going on in the game? Man, that's a great question. You know, I feel like Aaron Rodgers generally stays pretty poised. He's good for a couple of quips in the, uh, <laughs> or quips at the coaches or whoever else in post game, but he stays pretty even keel. There's a bunch of guys that stay really even keel throughout the game. Um, at the quarterback position, even though he plays with a little bit of emotion, like Ryan Fitzpatrick on the sideline, you'd never know if he's having a good day or a bad day. Everything was like, give me the book. I want to look at their coverages. Let's get back to it. That's a guy who I played with that had really good, maybe sideline demeanor. But, um, you know, you talk about guys like, like when New England was lighting the world on fire and they had all those weapons there, Tom Brady was still throwing 10 balls a game to running backs. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's like, as soon as you just lay off, okay, I'll take eight, nine yards a pop. And, oh, shoot, now we're past the 50. Now do we take a shot? And that's where Josh will grow and he'll learn. And, um, and, and he did that in the second half last week, I thought. You know, Eric, you mentioned Ryan Fitzpatrick. What, did, what was your take on the whole situation in Miami and the passing of the torch where Fitzpatrick's coming off of some, some really great performances? Yeah, I, I didn't understand it really. Um to me, you're, when they benched Fitz, they're one game out of the division and played the Bills really close at that, which was the deciding game. Um, Fitz is playing incredibly, but you know what? They want, they want to see what they have in two, and I get that. 
Um, I don't necessarily understand the timing of it. Like, see if you can get there further. Because if Tua goes on a huge skid, if you're Brian Flores, and maybe he's been promised something different, but you might not be able to see the fruits of the the sending two out there now and getting some game experience. But maybe they see something in practice. I just know I hate it for my boy Fitz, and I've been talking to him a bunch, and uh, he's he's bummed out about it, you know. And I, I was glad he said that publicly because you don't have to always act like everything's okay in this business. And, you know, I like, you know, he's been through a lot this year with his bomb passing during training camp, his family's in Tampa. He's down in Miami because of COVID you can't leave. I mean, he's been through the ringer and then he's playing great ball and they take his job away. You know, to me, it didn't make a whole lot of sense. Could it have a trickle down effect in the locker room? Because I, I know the players are saying all the right things, you know, two is a young guy. We're, we're here for him. But if he does play poorly and they were just a game out of first place, what could that do in the locker room, especially with a, a young head coach and, a, and a, a roster that has a lot of young pieces as well? Yeah, I mean, immediately it sends the message that we are worried about our draft picks over performance. You know, we want, we're going to throw you out there. And that is something that um, not you never want that to be the case in your organization. You don't want to be known as a team that – doesn't care about results. If we took you, then you're going to play. We're going to give you a shot, whatever it may be. Um, yeah. And then there's guys like, uh, I mean, I'm very familiar with Devonte Parker. I watched him at Louisville shoot. I remember him in high school growing up here. That dude has been talented forever. And Devonte got off to a very slow start to his career until Fitz got him going. And he loves Fitzpatrick. Mm -hmm. Preston Williams comes to Miami, I believe he was cut, comes to Miami, and Fitz makes him a star. He builds him up, tells him how good he is. Uh, Fitz was telling me last year, he kept telling him, dude, you are Brandon Marshall. You're the size, speed, you run routes like him. You're Brandon Marshall. Well, all of a sudden, he starts playing like it, and that's what Fitz does. I mean, he does a lot behind the scenes that guys truly respect, and you know what? Who knows how it turns out from a uh, morale standpoint down there. That was a great point, Ryan. Yeah, Gasecki too. Yes, exactly. So I want to get to one more thing before we let you get out of here. Um, thank you so much to Eric Wood for joining us on the podcast. His second appearance now, hopefully become a, a regular here on the show. We launched about, what was it now, Ryan? Six months, five, six months ago. All these tell months are kind of. Tell, tell Tops I got a podcast they can sponsor too. And we'll make <laughs> uh, I, I will send them, uh, I will send them the message. Um, I wanted to talk to you about this week in particular, because it's so, it's a special week, but it's a week that comes, I feel like, for the fan base with so much uh, hangover of emotions, you know, to, to go up against the Patriots year in and year out. And I feel like that home game against the Patriots takes on its own, like, life. I know this this week is a little bit different because COVID and there's going to be nobody at the stadium. Such a bummer. But what's this week like from a player's perspective? Because we asked a couple of the guys and you know how it is. I mean, they're not going to get to, they don't want, nobody wants to give any bulletin board material away. Um but this, I, I feel like this kind of game, I mean, Jerry was probably the one that said it the clearest. Like, you know, we know who we're playing. We want to beat those guys. We want to go out there and play smash mouth football. How important is this game to the locker room? I mean, it's big. And, and we talked about the passing of a torch uh, in Miami at the quarterback position. Hopefully this year is the passing of the torch to the Bills in the AFC East. But I've, I've done enough of the appearances this week to be like, Okay, enough is enough. This is not Tom Brady that's walking in the door this week. It is Cam Newton, and he has struggled mightily recently. This is a team that had the most opt-outs in the NFL, 
as the season goes on, they are going to get more and more banged up and the opt-outs become serious depth issues. The Bills are favored in this game. They should be favored. They have better players. They have a better coaching staff. I, you know, Bill Belichick might be the best coach of all time, but he's had a lot of people leave. Mm-hmm. Like, quit. I, I, Bills fans need to quit worrying about jinxing this and maybe just speak a win into existence. Like, we're going to beat them. That's what's going to happen this week. What's your take on the last two weeks with Cam Newton not throwing to the right side of the field? Do you, is that something where it, it could truly just be in the game plan? Or, or maybe is it something that we've seen in the past? It was maybe dealing with the foot injury, and maybe he's dealing with something now. Uh, just what's your overall stance on what we've seen the last two weeks on him only focusing on one side of the field? Like everything else in this country, I think you just blame it on COVID. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> No, but uh, I don't know what's up without with him not throwing to the right side of the field. I literally can't make any sense of it other than maybe there's been cornerbacks over there. Maybe his receivers that he's like, maybe they're short-sided on the left side of the field. Maybe they've been primarily on the left hash on throwing plays. His arm is not what it used to be, and he's throwing to the boundary because it's a shorter throw. I don't know exactly, um, but it's very – strange honestly and cam newton's had two very bad weeks these last couple weeks i don't think it can be discounted that he just had covid and maybe there's some lingering effects from that maybe it was sitting on the couch for a week and being away from the facility i don't know but um i i do think there could be i don't want this is this is the bills fan ingrained in me he could have a big week this week who knows um <laughs> but you know i i thought coming into the season Josh McDaniels did a great job the first couple weeks. There was no preseason. There was no idea what was coming from their offense. And I thought Josh McDaniels did a great job of mixing in some of his traditional two-back offense with some quarterback-driven run game out of the shotgun. But the book's out on that now. There's only so much creativity you can bring to a quarterback that has downfield throwing limitations based upon where his arm's at at this point of his career. Eric Wood, the man I'm going to be a man of my word and get you out of here in under 30. Let me let me give you a chance to let everybody know what you got going on this week, what what people can look forward to, you know, in, in the near future here. Uh, you got a big podcast going on. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, podcast will be coming out Monday. It's called What's Next with Eric Wood. We've had a bunch of Bills um, affiliated guests in the past. Tune into those. Jim Kelly was on there recently. I think he was my most recent guest. And Jim nice. Kelly is always incredible to hear from. Kim Pagula was recently. Kyle Williams, Lorenzo Alexander has been on. We have a lot of fun on there. Um, and then this weekend on Saturday, I'm at uh, Virginia Tech at Louisville. I have a true home game this week. So I'm off Beautiful. the road. I got a 15-minute drive to work this week as opposed to last week I was in Orlando. So that was a much longer commute. So this is a great work week for me. Um, and I appreciate you guys having me on. I'm excited about this Bills game this week. And um, – I don't know. The Bills haven't played their best in the last few weeks either. I, You know, everyone's like, man, the Patriots are due to have a good game. Well, so are the Bills. Like, mm -hmm. go smack these dudes. Awesome. Eric, thank you so much, my friend. Have a great night. Yep, my pleasure. Thanks, guys. All right. Stick around. Uh, we are going to keep this party going. We're going to go a little bit longer here. Um, but first, before we continue, a uh, word from our sponsor. Ready for football? With every game a home game, Tops is ready for you with its TV-a-day giveaway. For six weeks, every day you shop is a new chance to win a massive 70-inch 4K TV. Shop Tops for the best deals in town, in-store, or online to win. 
All right. If you are just tuning in or, or joining late, this is the Buffalo Bills football podcast, uh, the Shout Football Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Perino. He is my co-host, Ryan Talbot. Make sure you find us. I, we're so grateful for all of our video um, viewers, but find us on the audio platforms as well, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple. Uh, you can uh, subscribe there, get every single episode directly sent to your phone, turn on your notifications, download, listen. And then while you're there, if you like what you hear, rate and review. Give us give us all the lovely words uh, that you know in the dictionary. Uh, we really appreciate it. Ryan, let's move along here. And there's a couple um, things that I want to get to um, before we wrap up this week's episode. So grateful for Eric taking some time. If you have any th- specific things that we didn't cover yet and you want us to talk about, uh, throw them in the comment section. I've been, I've been trying to kind of scan over there. I will continue to do that. And we're also going to have a Friday episode where we're going to preview this game. Bills versus Patriots. We're going to bring on Chris Mason from MassLive.com. He covers the Patriots out there. We're going to dive a little bit deeper into this game. But a couple things happening with this team right now, uh, Ryan. Today, Dan Graziano uh, from ESPN reported that Trent Murphy uh, has been a, a topic of trade discussions. And you know, this is you know he played last week, and I thought he, in his limited uh, amount of snaps. He really came out and I thought set the tone for this defensive line that ended up playing pretty well. Got that sack with AJ Epinesa where they split. But now we learn that, you know, maybe Brandon Bean is starting to at least have conversations about trying to move him. Um, What are your thoughts? Well, I I think at this point it makes sense where we're at in the season. Yeah, he did have a nice game against the Jets. And you look at the week one game against the Jets, you look at this past week, that's what he's had uh, both, you know, of his sacks, one and a half on the season now. He's playing decent football, and a lot of opposing teams out there that are looking to make moves are looking to bring in a defensive end that can get to the quarterback, that can play the run, and he can do those things. And from Buffalo's perspective, you can shed a little bit of salary by trading him away, first and foremost. With the cap going down next year, it's not the worst idea to, to save some money there. And uh, for this year, I think I read about $4.5 million. If they do trade him, I could be wrong on that number. I'd have to go back and look. But more importantly... A.J. Epineza, when he's been on the field, he's flashed a little bit lately. Daryl Johnson, another young player that uh, he's made the most of his time. If you do end up adding a a true one technique, you have some players that have that versatility that play inside-outside. Maybe they can play outside a little bit more than if you have another, if you have a one technique, you can play some guys in position. You can have Addison and Hughes on the field at the same time. The the possibilities are endless. There's a lot the Bills can do, uh, but if you have Murphy there, you know, he's just another man in that rotation at that point. So you're going to be losing some snaps to someone. Uh, so if they truly feel good about their younger players, if they truly want to get Hughes and Addison out there at the same time, I think it's smart of them to go out there and see, hey, you know, can it will a team throw us a, a day three pick for him? And I think that's all it would take at this point, uh, probably a late day three pick at that. Add another draft pick, add another resource, part that salary, and then let some of these younger guys get some more reps. Yeah. And, you know, part of me wonders, you know, you, you bench a guy and there's obviously some concerns over the production or lack thereof, but part of me wonders if, you know, maybe there have been conversations, but he's still a guy that they might want to lean on in a playoff because he has so many, uh, so much experience, but I have a couple thoughts here. First, first of all, with him, you know, being potentially on the trading block, it suggests to me that maybe they really do want to address what I believe is their most glaring hole at one technique defensive tackle. And we've talked about this, you know, on a few of the last couple podcasts, when you're asking so many different guys to play out of position, 
on that defensive line on the inside because you don't have that true, you know, number one, one tech, if you will. You know, Starla Tulele only played 46% of the snaps last year, but those 46% of the snaps, every time he was on the field, you can put another pass rusher in, in here. I think a lot of the success last season in hindsight that, Jordan Phillips had can be kind of attributed to Starla Tulele and the, you know, the space that he took on the willingness to take on double teams. If you're willing to move on from Trent Murphy, what it tells me is maybe you're willing to go out there and get a one technique like a Don Terry Poe that we mentioned, or, you know, maybe best case scenario, Delvin Tomlinson, because then you can use Quinton Jefferson specifically in that role that you envision for him when you signed him as that three tech and a guy that you can, you could split outside at times. Yeah. Tomlinson would be a home run trade for Buffalo if he's available last year of his rookie deal. So the, you know, the cap <laughs> hits not there uh, in, in terms of a significant cap hit, same thing with the Tim settle. Uh, but I, I think Don Terry Poe just makes so much sense for this team. I know he has struggled this year in Dallas. It could be schematics. It could be the lack of the off season, whatever the case may be. But the one thing I'm going to say about him, and you mentioned it, he had a really good year last year in Carolina, but taking that a step further, Eric Washington referred to him in those two years together as maybe the most underrated part or piece of that Panthers defense. So Washington holds him in high regard. Um, and, and it's back and reading through some of these pieces. It almost sounded like a Star Latula situation where fans were upset that maybe he wasn't on the stat sheet as much as they thought he should be. But he was taking on those those offensive linemen and freeing things up for the linebackers, freeing things up for the players around him. And that's something that Latula did so well for, for the Bills, where fans were like, oh, but he's not doing anything. He's not on the stat sheet. Well, I think now when they hear from Sean McDermott and they hear from these coaches saying that sometimes it's not what you see on the stat sheet, it's what you see on the film, they're going to take that to heart. They're going to believe that. And I think that Dante, uh, Don Terry Poe could be another player that fits in that mold that you can get in here pretty cheap. Uh, obviously doesn't have to go through waivers as a veteran. So someone that could be brought in sooner rather than later. Let's uh, transition a little bit um, to what's happening down in Orchard Park today. Pretty lengthy injury report, Ryan, that came out today. And the good news, let's start off with there. John Brown back in practice, full participant, obviously dealing with that knee injury the last couple of weeks. I saw him out there. He looked like he was running pretty good, testing things out. Um, he ran a one, one route. It was a little bit slippery out there. It was a little rainy out in, in OP. And, you know, there was a few parts of early part of practice where we get to watch where I felt like he was a little bit um, tentative, if you will. Uh, it's tough to tell in that environment. They're not really going full blast, but it looked like he was testing things out a little bit, maybe cutting a little bit on the leg. So we'll see how that progresses throughout the week. We'll talk more about that on Sunday. But then you look at the rest of this list, and it is a long one. Vern, you know, if you're just going to start with um, did not practice, um, Cody Ford, obviously still dealing with the knee. Micah Hyde uh, is in the concussion protocol, we've learned, so we'll have to track that. He was out there in uniform, no pads, which is a good sign. That must mean that he's progressing at least to, I believe, stage four already to be actually out on the uh, practice field. And he was – I don't know if you really would consider it doing football – um, activities because he was out there doing stretch and he was kind of catching the ball off to the side, but he wasn't really participating in any of the drills. So we'll keep an eye on that. Jerry Hughes has a foot injury. He uh, did not practice today. Uh, I'm also wondering how much of that is maybe a vet day, uh, but they listed it as a foot. And then Josh Norman still dealing with the hamstring. Then there's a whole host of guys that are limited. Vernon Butler with a groin. Um, Jake Fromm, obviously, we know that we're he, they're keeping him away. Quentin Jefferson with a knee, Cam Lewis with a wrist, Isaiah McKenzie with an ankle, 
Brian Winters with a knee, and then Matt Milano, who is still dealing with that pec injury. He was in a red non-contact jersey. So it's I saw somebody tweet back at me when I did mention that about Matt Milano. It's like up and down, up and down, up and down with Matt Milano as he tries to make his way back. Looking at that injury report, where are your antenna kind of going up a little bit? Well, I, I would definitely say with Micah Hyde, uh, first and foremost, just because, uh, you know, concussion protocol, it takes players different amounts of time, different spans of time. Like you said, it's an encouraging sign that he was out there in that limited capacity today. Could be stage two, three, or on his way to four, like you said. Um, but even if, even with Cam Newton struggles, he plays such an important role on the back end of <laughs> Buffalo's defense uh, that he'll be needed on Sunday. And, you know, I know we don't know when exactly the injury occurred. He he looked a little shook up after that Brashad Perriman hit uh, at the end of the Jets game. It may have been that. It may have been something completely different. I'm, I Hopefully we'll find out something more uh, as the week progresses in regards to that. A lot of those limited players, though, um, Matt Milano, you know, he was limited a little bit last week. I, I think that uh, he, he exited the game last – didn't exit the game. I shouldn't say that. He uh, ended the game uh, Sean McDermott said pretty much feeling good the next day. So that was encouraging Cam Lewis. Uh, he was active last Sunday, but really didn't play because, you know, he has that club on his hand, so to speak right now as he's dealing with that injury. So I think some of these limited players, they'll be available on Sunday that they should be trending in that right direction, but you're right. It's a laundry list of names, uh, and some significant players on it at that too. Yeah. I think, um, PJ in the comments asks, um, you know, is Poe a one technique? Yes, he is. Uh, he's 350 pounds, big space eater. I mean, that'll be his his main role. And I've listed in the article up on Syracuse.com, NewYorkUpstate.com on him. He um, He's playing almost 55% of the snaps in Dallas. That's a big ask for a big man in the interior of a defensive line at 30 years old. I think they could dial those snaps way back in the rotation in Buffalo. That might be another thing that, you know, if he's got a couple – couple places he could choose to go to. I think the familiarity with Washington and the role that they'd be asking him to play, they can show him, hey, come play 45% of the snaps. Look what Starla Tulele did in that last year. That could be something that makes that matches up. Micah Hyde, can he get back in time? It's always tough to um predict with concussion stuff. Like you never know where that's going to be, uh, how that's going to progress over the next couple of days. I think it's a good sign on a Wednesday that he was already out there. Uh, you wonder how many if he's been dealing with this since the game. You you imagine that he is. Um, we haven't gotten a chance to talk to him. So, yeah, that's something that we'll definitely have to monitor over the next couple of days. But I think the biggest storyline for me, and we'll talk more about this um, in the Friday episode, is getting John Brown back. Like to me, was the most important thing of of anything that could possibly happen. Outside of losing another one of the playmakers, like you know Diggs or Cole Beasley or even Gabriel Davis, like I mean, you want John Brown probably more than Gabriel Davis at this point because we've seen what you know when you take John Brown out of this offense. But having him back to start practice, start the week, we'll see where how it tra- transpires over the course of the next couple of days. That's that's huge. Yeah, and the one thing the Patriots have always done very well against Buffalo is take the top weapon away. Uh, obviously, that would be Diggs this year. So that I'm guessing a lot of attention will be on him. Um, So if you have a a John Brown and maybe he's not a hundred percent, maybe he's 85, 90%, a John Brown at that percentage is still a really good wide receiver and that he could cause some fits for that defense. We saw last year in that second game, he, he, how he got open in the second half, um, turned Gilmore around, turned that whole defense around and got wide open. So if you can have both of them out there to stretch the field, uh, then Cole Beasley can be effective (laughs) underneath. Then the backs can be effective out of the backfield as receivers, you can get a lot of different guys involved in a lot of different ways. 
So having him back for this game would be a uh, would be huge for Buffalo, and I think it would absolutely help them uh, in terms of possibly getting to six and two at the midway point of the season. Yeah, I'm looking through um, some of the questions here to see if there's anything. If you want us to hit on anything before we get out of here, please feel free to drop them uh, in this uh, in the question box on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, uh, and they pop up on the side. We'll we'll definitely get to them. Another thing I want to talk about too is, you know, I retweeted it tonight, and I think this is such an interesting dynamic going into this game. Is um, I think Chris Mason, who we're going to have on the show, he tweeted out that. Um, a quote from Devin McCourty. And he said, uh, Devin said, quote, they're first in the division, referring to the Bills, we're two and four. So I definitely wouldn't call us the team to beat this year. And uh, he also then tweeted a few minutes later, uh, another quote from McCourty, who basically said, we're not the team to beat anymore. And you think about that for a second, and you wonder how this Bills team... They, they say all the right things when it comes to f- knocking off the Patriots. Like it's still their division and, you know, maybe they're almost playing mental games with themselves, but they are the favorite in this division going into the season. They're the favorite in this game. And this is a definitely a game with a ton of letdown potential, uh, especially facing a wounded team that is going to also come out and play like their season's on the line because it is. Yeah, they're going to play desperate football. And, you know, I started preparing my uh, things to watch article for Friday. And one of the things I said is, what's this Bills defense going to do? Are they going to sell out for the run? Are they going to put another guy in the box and almost dare Cam Newton to beat them with his arm? It's one of those interesting things that I can't wait to see because the defense in the second half of that Jets game, it looks like they got right, uh, so to speak. And yes, it was against the Jets, but holding a team to four yards, I don't care who you are. That's not an easy feat to do. I don't care if you're the worst team in the league or not. That was impressive. So uh, I, I do want to see how this defense matches up. It is it is something psychological where, where the Patriots, you know, they're saying the right things too. look at our record. We're not the team to beat anymore. The Bills are doing the same thing, though, in terms of, hey, listen, these guys have controlled the division for the last decade plus. Uh, we have not had much success against them over that time. So both sides are saying the right things, but it's going to be interesting to see which team comes out on that field and looks more, maybe not prepared, but who's more ready for this battle on Sunday. Mm -hmm. One more question uh, we'll take here from Lennon uh, Landry. How much rope does Tyler Bass have at this point? I.e. if he misses one or two this week from reasonable distance, he's pretty much done, right? Well, no, I don't, I don't think that we're at, we're anywhere close to that point yet. And, it, and I know that like with kickers, it could be so dramatic because they do really impact games from week to week. I mean, if guys are missing kicks in these big spots, you know, in close games, I mean, if he had missed even one of those six kicks that he made, he missed two, you know, the, the Jets are in, you know, scoring distance to, to score a touchdown late in that game and win. And so I understand that. You know, but you got to remember, put this into context. He's a rookie kicker. They, he's just kind of getting his feet wet. No preseason games. I think that that game was gonna, is nothing but um, uh, perfect for what he needs in terms of the repetitions. So I don't think, just my personal op- opinion, I don't think we're close to, you know, uh, the Bills are bringing in massive amounts of kickers in to work them out. Yeah, you ever see the clown that pulls that handkerchief out of his sleeve and it goes on forever? 
That's how much yeah. rope Tyler Bass currently has with the Bills. <laughs> there, there's no other kickers available. Right? You see that there are teams that are funneling kickers out. Uh, Sloman was, was I believe, waived by the Rams today, and, and they were bringing in uh, McGinnis, uh, I believe is his name, Austin McGinnis. From, he was in the XFL for a while. He was with the Rams this summer. You know, there's not guys out there. Hauschka, who the Bills cut, he had a short stint in Jacksonville. And I mean short, it was a cup of coffee. He he couldn't make a 40-yard kick, a 40, I think it was high 40s, but he didn't have the distance for it. He missed one that was in the 20s and 30s. There's just not a lot of great kickers out there on the streets right now uh, that the Bills could even bring in. And like Matt said, he's a rookie. You're, you got to give him some time to get used to the elements. You got to get him some time to build that chemistry with Corey Bohorquez. Uh, you know, we saw that on a lot of those early misses, Bohorquez wasn't turning the football, uh, wasn't spinning it when he when he grabbed it and the laces, you know, laces in, laces out. We, we really don't know if that does affect Tyler Bass much, but we, we know in history they're saying you don't want the laces pointing uh, toward the kicker. So maybe that had something to do with it too. But right now, you know, I think he has a long rope. Uh, I know that he missed two kicks, but, if Gabriel Davis, uh, his touchdown stands and there wasn't the illegal formation, if the turf monster doesn't get to Tyler Croft and the Bills score a touchdown there, the Bills put this away and you're not really talking about uh, about the, the kicking game. But he still won the game single-handedly with his foot. He, he made, he was, you know, he contributed all the points for this team at the end of the day. Fingers crossed that we get Ed Oliver tomorrow uh, or Friday uh, because I'm dying to ask him about his exchange with Cam Newton last year in uh, Spartansburg uh, back. Uh, the uh, Was it the Panthers that released the video? I can't remember who released the video of the exchange uh, between Oliver and Cam Newton as uh, Cam was talking to Captain Munerlin. Um, we'll talk more about that on Friday, hopefully after we hear from Ed Oliver. But if you haven't, seen that video i believe it was del reed tonight that retweeted uh, a funny little uh, mix mashup of the, of that video uh, so check that out we will we will be back friday night uh six o'clock eastern time we are going it's patriots week it's it's one of the biggest weeks of the season so we are going to dive headfirst into this game all of the matchups to watch we're kind of uh, swimming through it all right now, putting it all together. Check out Syracuse.com, NewYorkUpstate.com this week. I'm going to have two big stories, one on Jerry tomorrow and then one tomorrow evening on Josh Allen. And, you know, the history that he has going up against Bill Belichick's defense, how he's adjusting to going back and watching those performances and how he's going to implement 2020 version of Josh uh, in this first matchup on Sunday. We'll have Chris Mason from MassLive.com. And find us, as always, on all the audio platforms, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, Apple. We really appreciate it. Ryan, final thought. Final thoughts, Patriots Week. I can't wait. Like you said, I, I want to hear from some of these players at Oliver. Like you said, hopefully we hear from Micah Hyde, get to know what happened, how he's progressing through. But this is an exciting game. Uh, someone in the commentary said it, take the throne. This is Buffalo's chance to take the throne at the midway point of the season. A stamp on the year at the midway point, be 6-2, and 4-0 in the AFC East. There's a lot riding on this game. For Ryan Talbot, I am Matt Perino. We will be back in 48 hours. Have yourself a great night. Enjoy the rest of your week, everyone. Ready for football? Tops is. With ready-to-serve fan favorites, everyone will cheer for. Delicious family or party packs like pizza, sliders, fried chicken, barbecue, or beef on whack. Starting at only $4 per serving. Perfect for game day and any day. Only at Tops.